Welcome to day 161 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today are Job chapters 31 through 33 and Psalm 68. Here's some thoughts to guide your reading for today. Our psalm for today, Psalm 68, is a beautiful psalm centered around the beauty of Jerusalem and the temple. It was likely meant to be used during festivals at the temple. Many of the lines are about how other nations and peoples recognize the majesty of what God has accomplished in Jerusalem, and they long to be a part of it. One of my favorite lines is verse 5 that declares that the majestic God is also the father of orphans and the defender of widows. So, God's glory is not just found in the great majesty of Jerusalem in its heyday, but God's glory is also found in his care for those on the margins. Chapter 31 of Job includes Job's three-chapter summary of his downfall and his defense of himself against his friends and against God. This last chapter is meant to defend Job's innocence and integrity. By denying a long list of sins, Job is challenging God to either speak up and prove him incorrect or agree with him and reveal the cause of his suffering. The text lists at least 10 sins that Job is convinced he has not committed. He has not treated women with lust. He's not been dishonest with others. He's not committed adultery. He's not mistreated his servants. He has not failed to help those in need. He has not let forms of idolatry get in the way of his worship of God. He's not acted in vindictive ways towards his enemies. He's not withheld hospitality from strangers. He's not tried to hide other transgressions, and he has not exploited his land or those who work upon it. Job is so confident that he has avoided these various sins that he calls down four curses upon himself if anyone can prove him guilty. Then, in chapters 32 through 37, we are introduced to one last character, Elihu. Some scholars think these chapters are a later inclusion, perhaps even by another author. Others think that in the same way that Job has just summarized his position, Elihu serves as a final summary of the previous positions of Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar before God finally makes his appearance in chapter 38. Either way, Elihu serves as something of an enigma. He's very bright, but he's also young, brash, and a bit overconfident. Perhaps he represents a new and young generation who thinks they have all the questions of God and suffering solved, only to fall back into many of the same pitfalls of their elders. Elihu's speech is actually a series of four speeches. The first one is given in our chapters for today, chapters 32 and 33. The text begins with a long introduction of Elihu and justifications for why he has stayed silent all this time. In fact, Elihu's self-introduction is so long and so self-centered that some scholars argue that Elihu is meant to be viewed as a bit of comic relief in the book. The young Elihu is confident that he can prove Job wrong where the others have failed. After many words about how good he will be at getting to the truth, Elihu begins with the vastness of God. Job is wrong about his innocence. He may not have committed the long list of sins given in chapter 31, but God is so great that Job can't even comprehend all the ways humans fall short of God's plans and purposes. In chapter 33, Elihu hints that perhaps God has not been as silent as Job thinks. In the chapter, Elihu suggests three different ways God may have already been communicating with Job. First, God may have been speaking to Job through various dreams or visions. Or, God may be using Job's various ailments as a way of disciplining him or communicating with him. One final way God might speak to Job is through a mediator, either angelic or human, perhaps even his friends. 
Elihu ends his first speech by inviting Job to respond, but Job remains silent. Despite the youthful and somewhat arrogant brashness of Elihu in this opening speech, perhaps there is something for us, like Job, to reflect on in his words here. Maybe like the old joke about the man sitting on his roof during a flood, waiting for rescue, who then lets the raft, the boat, and the helicopter go by because he's prayed and he's waiting for God to rescue him. We too need to discern the various ways that God is speaking to us through people or means we did not expect. Elihu at least raises the question, in what Job has felt as God's absence, has God perhaps been present in ways Job failed to perceive? Our psalm for today celebrated God's presence with those on the margins. Perhaps we need to learn to pray the prayer Mother Teresa would pray as she would go out each day to minister to the poor of Calcutta. Lord Jesus, help me to see you today in all your distressing disguises. We're getting closer to the long-awaited appearance of God in the book, but we have just a few more speeches from Elihu to go first. Our texts for tomorrow are Job chapters 34 through 36. I'll talk to you tomorrow.